0: Upworthy Weekly, delivering the best of humanity every Saturday. Here's your hosts, Allison Rosen and Todd Perry.
1: Hello, everybody. It's the Upworthy Weekly Podcast, and I'm Todd Perry, who's a staff writer at Upworthy. With me is the great Allison Rosen. You know her from her super popular podcast, Childish, starring Greg Fitzsimmons. And oh, Another show called Allison Rosen is your new best friend. How are you doing today, Allison?
2: Hello. You do that just to mess with me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that actually, that makes me sound very conceited and wrapped up in my own projects. So I would like to start the show again. Okay. <laughs> anyway, hello, Todd. It's nice to see well, you. Well, you
1: can start off with, you know... My name is Allison Rosen from Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend, and with me is the great Todd Perry. You know him as the first guy on Low Budget FM, and you know him as, you know, because everybody remembers the great, iconic podcast, Low Budget FM. That was number six on iTunes comedy charts in 19, or in 2009.
2: Congratulations. For one
1: week, we were number six. Now-
2: Wow, but what a week it was. It was a huge
1: week. We were great that week. I was good for yeah. one week and now, now look at this.
2: Now look at you. Your life is falling apart.
1: It really is, and we'll get to that later on the show. Uh, yeah. But But this is upworthy. That's right. We're going to be upbeat. That's the I mean, that's the great thing. No matter what, <laughs> it's kind of like no no matter what um ox card of fire my life could become at a certain point.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: when we come to do this show, I check it all out the door.
2: That's right. I, it's sort of a challenge. It's a challenge for us to find the silver lining. Because now, if this is the first time someone's listening, or the zillionth, not the, look, we're we're pretty newish still. Uh, We're a fresh, hip, young podcast that everyone's talking about. We're exploding on the scene. But if, you know, someone's listened to us a few times, they might have gathered that we're at least I am maybe not full of rainbows all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I might be like a a surprising choice to co-host an upworthy podcast, which features primarily good news about dogs often and occasionally cats. We're trying to get a few more cats in because we've heard feedback that there's not enough cats to which we say, when cats start rescuing people, we'll feature the cats. Mm -hmm. Um, so it really, for someone who can be a little negative, it's been a wonderful challenge for me to try to find the upworthy angle on stuff. And Todd, I know your life has just been a disaster lately. Again, we'll hear about yeah. it. And so you're really going to be, you know, it, life has painted you into a corner and you're going to have to find a way to put a, turn your frown upside down.
1: You know, what I do is I... Channel my inner Richard Simmons. Mm. You know,
2: I know that you know the man. Yeah,
1: well, I I knew the man. No one knows the man I anymore the man. as we've. No one. <laughs> We've learned, but yeah, I channel my inner Richard Simmons, and I just try to get that kind of burst of rainbow energy that I can bring right. to people who are listening to this on a Saturday and want a good vibe. Yes. And then that way, it'll kind of counteract, as I always say, Allison Rosen, the Wednesday Adams of podcasting, from bringing <laughs> down anybody's weekend. You know. On this week's show, we're going to cover some of the most popular and engaging stories from the week of September 12th to September 16th, 22. Wait, I kind of leaned into that like Cat Williams. On this week's show, we're going to cover some of the most <laughs> I popular. I liked it.
2: You like that? Some, You know, sometimes you got to segue hard. As you know. On my most popular show, Alison Rosen is your best friend. I refer to myself as the queen of Segways, And as the queen of Segways, I commend your segway that you just did. I thought it was great. Thank you.
1: On today's show, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about the things that teens aren't ready to hear. Great news on the front of child poverty. Uh, we're going to talk with our friends over at Nike about a huge new development in the fight against climate change. And there's a whole lot more to this. But let's start off with Alison Rosen. Who's got a story about a kindergartner?
2: All right, so this story is about a kindergartner's ruthless sandwich review after his first day of school leaves people. No, let me start over again. All right, so this story is about a kindergartner's ruthless sandwich review that is leaving people in stitches. Uh, this is a sandwich review after his first day of school. So this is a video that is going viral on TikTok and. As I've mentioned before, typically when we talk about a video on TikTok, it's usually one that's racking up a tons of views. I don't think even once we have featured a video on TikTok that's gotten like, oh, do you see that video? It's gotten, you know, 14 views or something. It's often one that's going viral. I think we should start including more videos that are just getting a handful of views. It's sort of like the cats of videos. But anyway, mm. uh, yeah, this is getting like 14 million views. Um, <clears throat> uh, uh in the same way that I wanted to capture my son's first day of kindergarten, a mom named Ricky Weisberg sent her son Abe off to kindergarten with his lunch and she videoed him getting off the school bus. You know, how was your first day? And he had some news for her about the the first day that was hilarious and this has gone viral and we have the audio. <laughs> Hey! <laughs> you did it! Mommy? Yeah! Terrible sandwich, by the way. <laughs> Thanks for letting me know. Really terrible.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: so, uh,. He did not enjoy the sandwich. And she said, I normally give him peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but he couldn't bring peanut butter to school because of kids' allergies. So yeah, back in my day, peanut butter and jelly, and probably your day, Todd, because we're the same age basically. Peanut butter and jelly, very common thing you'd bring, but now you you know, you typically don't bring any any nut products to school. Um, so peanut butter, jelly, no. Um real, real so quick. she says, so I had this idea, yes.
1: Uh, uh, real quick, why, why it's top of mind? Maybe you know the answer to this, Allison. I do not know, but how is it that humanity developed an allergy to peanuts like overnight? Right? There was no like when we were kids, nobody had a peanut allergy, right? And I it's mm-hmm. a it's a real thing. I'm not saying that it's some kind of phony thing or right. kids these days with their peanut allergies right. and, and that whole bit. No, it's a
2: real thing. <laughs>
1: But how'd it go from like nobody having one to people having one? I know you're not a doctor.
2: Mm. I wish I were though for moments like this. Um, I don't actually, I don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. I know now that, and I feel like the pendulum swings back and forth, but, and please check with your doctor, but pediatricians are encouraging parents to expose their children to nut products earlier rather than later, like with proper precautions in place, because they're saying exposure to them can sort of help to prevent uh, allergies, which seems like scary for people who are afraid of allergies or who think there might be a potential for that. Um, Yeah, I don't exactly know. I feel like someone would say, oh, it's environmental factors, but I I don't really know the answer. Um, Yeah, because it does seem like every class that my kids have been in, there have been there has been someone that ha- does have a nut allergy. All right, so so anyway, the mom says so I so anyway, here's how the the untasty which is not a word how, here's how the uh, horrible sandwich happened. So she said, So I grabbed a stick of butter out of the freezer and I made him a butter and jelly sandwich, <laughs> thinking I was like, good mom, and sent him on his way. Okay, a lot of, th- I have a lot of things to say. You grab a stick of butter out of the freezer, it's going to taste like freezer burn. And also, it's going to rip up the bread. Hard butter? There's no way that that is not tearing up the bread. Well, uh, she had to microwave so,
1: it or else it would just be, yeah, you just have like yeah. shredded bread. Yeah.
2: Okay, so here's what what Abe said about the sandwich. I knew what butter tasted like, and it didn't taste like what butter tasted like.
1: Hmm. There you go.
2: I I think the thing... Not a good sandwich.
1: I think the thing was the amount of butter. Because she took a whole stick of butter and then yeah. put it on a thing of bread and that's a, that's a lot of butter I, I just calorically trying to
2: you think the whole stick you think the whole stick was on I'm there i'm just
1: going by what was reported all... she said i took a stick of butter out of there which is like 8 tablespoons of butter so i mean here's the thing if she just
2: would have put a little bit of butter that
1: would have been great because yeah.
2: you know think about that's just a toast and jelly sandwich that's pretty good yeah
1: no one's going to no one's going to you know as my grandma would say no one's going to throw a hat over that but um yeah,
2: that's a good saying. Yeah. It, I mean, it would make the hat sticky first of all, but I know what she means. Well, it has a dirty yeah.
1: connotation. That's what uh,
2: it does. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh! I wasn't even thinking of it that way. I just thought of. I just. I'm sorry, my brain's exploding. I just assumed no one's going to throw a hat over that. Like no one's going to try to cover that up.
1: Uh, Yeah, exactly. So that's yeah. It's for if a woman was being a little too showy of her wares, another person would say, "No one's going to throw a hat over that." Meaning you're inviting unwanted attention to your nether regions.
2: And they cover it with a hat. She's
1: just saying no one's going to, right? Like you're you're inviting unwanted because they want
2: to stare at it exactly. It just seems like a weird choice of garment. Like, I would think it'd be more like no one's going to th- quickly throw a shawl over that or something. Well, hat over that. Does, you know a lot happening. In, see, the thing is,
1: Allison, yeah. a hat over that, it rhymes. Mm-hmm. So therefore, it's funnier <laughs> than shawl. But
2: it could be like no one's going to throw a shawl over at all. No one's going to throw a... No, this is not a good use of time. Anyway, kids can really be brutal. Uh, My kids have let me, they've wondered why is, they've just commented on how I have, mostly they like to let me know I have big body parts and they have little body parts. Okay. You have a big butt. I have a little butt. You have a big nose. I have a little nose. Yesterday, Elliot grabbed my midsection and said, what's this? And I said, that's my tummy. Oh. Oh um it's a lot of there's a lot of comments like that
1: yeah my son this was one that was particularly hurtful there's this book called uh, even firemen go to the potty <laughs> and uh it's true it's true i've never i mean maybe there's some that don't right i everyone i've met
2: i they should you know. i hope they would yeah
1: so my kid had this book and then one and it'd be like even firemen even policemen go to the potty. Even baseball players go to the potty. And then it was like, even pilots go to the potty. And so they showed people on mm-hmm. the plane. There's a photo of one guy who was like bald or losing his hair. And whenever we go to that photo, mm-hmm. when my kid was like two and a half, three, he'd point to it and go, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, dude, put it with the honesty. Um, yeah. And he, he pointed out every time he had to make a deal about it and then one time my wife comes and we were reading the the potty book. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I look like the guy in seat 3C on the, the airplane. <laughs> I know. It wasn't flattering. I, well, I, I remember yesterday he said something kind of honest, maybe pointing out one of my flaw. Another one of my flaws and cuz we're staying at an Airbnb right now and there's a liquor store right next to the Airbnb. And so he goes Hey, Daddy, are you thirsty? We should go to the liquor store and get you a beer. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. Because they have ice cream there and so that he could get his Mm -hmm. Oreo, you know, frozen Oreo thing or whatever. But he was like, I'll lure him in with the alcohol. And then Uh while I'm in there, I can have an ice cream sandwich. You know, smart kid, you
2: know. He is a quite observant. Upworthy
0: Upworthy Upworthy Weekly.
1: Why are people unhappy even when their material needs are met? Here are some thoughtful answers. Uh, I wrote this story earlier this week when I just saw this tweet thread, and I thought it was really interesting because it's maybe, maybe something I think about. But uh, a guy named Spencer Greenberg, who's a mathematician and entrepreneur, in the
2: entrepreneur. Uh, so many R's in that word. You know, the. Entrepreneur, hey February, yeah. hold my beer. That's what that word says. French French don't have a word for entrepreneur.
1: Can we do bu- bush jokes still? Is it okay? Um,
2: it's just, I think the moment has passed. Is it? I mean, if you want to, you can, but there are a lot of R's in that word, right? I'm not spelling it wrong. It's entrepreneur, right? Yeah,
1: entrepreneur.
2: Okay. Yeah, it's excessive.
1: In the field of science, asked his followers on Twitter, why do you think that many people are unhappy even when they have all their material needs met? And the answers were thoughtful and varied. And I think the answers were so different, it just kind of shows how elusive the idea of happiness is. But one idea that a lot of people uh, shared was comparison. One person tweeted Mm -hmm. that like comparison is a biggie and unmet societal norms, milestones, perhaps depending on how important a person finds them. Uh, So people are always constantly comparing themselves to others. So just depending on what your social sphere is like, if you haven't lived up to that or you're looking on facebook and you're just seeing people's positive representations of their life or you know a photoshop version of reality then you're always going to feel like you're coming up short so that even when somebody who has all their you know s together and isn't worried about where their next meal is coming from or or whatever still still is unhappy because they think everybody else is doing better than they are but i you know I don't really think that way. I'm not trying to say it's because I'm a good person or anything, but I would just think that, like, I try to see life like golf. You'll appreciate this sports metaphor, uh, Allison.
2: Well, you know, I think in sports, I talk sports. I Sometimes people are like, hey, get your head out of the game. And I'm like, I can't help it. It just makes sense to me. Yeah. So tell me, tell me, and I'll, I mean, I'll instantly get it. I already get it, but just break it down for the people that don't get sports.
1: In golf, you're just kind of always trying to beat yourself. Like, oh, I shot a Mm. 72 on the course last week. Uh, If I can get to 71, then I'm getting better, right? Then my game's getting better. You don't really play, Mm. some people play against their buddies, but it's more like you're just trying to beat yourself, right? And I think that's a good way to look at life.
2: Isn't, um, okay, isn't. Actually, and this is only something I learned somewhat recently. Isn't baseball kind of like that? Actually, even though you're on a team, <clears throat> isn't like isn't that the whole uh, Moneyball thing that it really is all about kind of lifetime stats with baseball?
1: Mm. I think it, lifetime baseball is the the sport where people care most about stats. It's where like stats are holy in baseball, yeah. where they're not in okay. football or basketball. I think so. Yes, in that way, like obviously, you want your team to win, but people people want, at a certain caliber, want to be in the record books, right? So I don't know. People say that right. comparing oneself prevents people from being happy, and I think obviously today in the social media world, uh, if you're <clears throat> if you compare yourself a lot, you're going to be very miserable. Um,
2: they say compare and despair. Uh, that's just a snappy little phrase for the uh, bad habit of comparing and then feeling, uh, allowing it to make you feel bad. And I, for one, do it all the time. It's a real problem I have. Unlike Todd, I don't regard life as golf. Mm. I don't golf, for one. So how would you know? And uh, I allow myself... I allow myself to, you know, they also say like stay in your own lane. There's a lot of little snappy little phrases to remind you to just focus on yourself. And also they say that like compare, you know, looking at social media and allowing it to make you feel bad is comparing your insides to someone else's outsides. My therapist is fond of saying like you're looking at the press release because it's true. This is what someone's choosing to put out there but it's st- i still it makes me feel bad and it makes me feel like i'm not measuring up and it makes me feel like i'm missing out or you know it it triggers me in a negative way like very frequently and yet i can't get off of it mm, that's i still i stay there yeah.
1: just beating yeah. yourself up you know i know but you know i still play golf and i'm only getting worse is that true i think so of recent why? I don't know. I'm just not keeping mm. my head down, Allison. I got my knees are coming out too far. My butt's not back in the right mm. spot. I'm using a four mm. wood when I should be using the three wood. You know the deal. I'm not driving for show, putting for Maybe. dough right now.
2: Oh, gosh. Are you distracted? Sounds like your head's not in the game and your eye's not on the prize or the ball. Some people believe so that
1: I think. evolution...
2: That we have not evolved
1: to really be happy in a way. Um, Because I think that's true. Comfort, safety, and prosperity are, quote, unnatural. And our survival oriented instincts and brains are confused when these good things are endemic. So we invent intangible fears and anxieties that are harder to confront and more unsettling than the tangible ones. So, yeah, it's kind of like, all right, once you're. Once your your needs are met, you got shelter, you got a meal, you got Netflix. If you're really styling, you got HBO Plus. Uh, mm-hmm. You got your did.
2: You got your little espresso pods, your your little express espresso stoke coffee things from Seven Eleven that you need to function. No, I don't have those. You don't have those. I don't have those. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. So Why would you bring it up? But it, but in theory, you do.
1: Sorry. Yeah, uh, we're we're talking about life. Six months ago, when my material needs were met, but Mm -hmm. and then here's here's the thing. Now you tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like I will some people once they have their needs met, more affluent people, they tend to cling to the distress they have in life in certain ways because they don't have a struggle. And the people in the world think they don't have a struggle; that they cling to these things because it gives them an identity, right? So it's like if you're an up and coming rapper from the streets, you're mm. you've got you're you've got which I am. Yes, we. I mean, we did we did the <laughs> we did we did the rapping before on the show.
2: We did some rapping. I don't I don't think it went over well with everyone, but those <laughs> who it for whom it did go over well. Yeah, look, there was some pushback, but you know it's because we're ahead of our time. Oh. Okay. Oh no. <laughs> so.
1: <laughs> so right, and so but but then like somebody who's like an artist that clearly did not come from a challenged background will then be like, well, I had this thing that happened to me, or I've got, mm-hmm. you know, these problems. You
2: had to wear headgear. I had, yeah, like yeah I had to wear headgear, mm-hmm. or
1: like, so people have something else, so it makes it look like they have a struggle. And this is what I'm saying: when people's needs are met, they cling to something else because it gives them some kind of edge well
2: here's the crazy thing in my experience as a non-professional uh person who is going to weigh in because i have a microphone Mm. uh your happiness and your mood is not that affected by your situation And that is something that I think we as humans have trouble wrapping our heads around. Like there can be situations that bring about unhappiness. And so I do think if your situation is causing you to be unhappy, then definitely try to work through it and try to change it. But you can find someone who is living in a situation that most people would say is pretty rough. And that person might have a happy-go-lucky attitude. And then you can find someone who is living in a mansion and driving. I'm just choosing a stereotypical, like, that should be, person should be, you know, a director of a Hollywood movie who's driving a Porsche who has a beautiful wife and a family, and they have everything they want. They're they're living everyone else's dream, and they're miserable, and they take their own life. And you're like, what the heck happened, you Mm -hmm. know? And it makes no sense to us. And it's like, because happiness is is like it's so ineffable. Like we, you know what I mean? It, it, it's there's so many different factors that that create it. You know, depression, anxiety, mental illness, what happened in your family of origin, generational trauma, all these things uh factor into it. And yet we keep thinking that if I can just change, oh my gosh, there is a mosquito in the studio and it's about to land <gasps> on my coffee cup. <sighs> no, is it there? Let's see. We need to get some kind
1: of mosquito net for your studio, Allison.
2: For me to just put around my body? Yeah. I think it might be in my coffee. Ooh. Well. That would be great. Then I could just cover my coffee.
1: Or you could just drink it. I don't know if that happened. And let it slowly digest in your oh my belly. Oh god,
2: then I could then I could be the mosquito. <sighs> Me, secret powers. Um I don't know what I was saying. It it was it sounded pretty deep. I saw an origin deep story deep. happening. But
1: yeah. the idea, yeah, you were saying the idea is that one's material thing uh standing does not necessarily dictate whether they'll be happy or not.
2: And then I don't think it
1: does. And I think also we are in a world where there's a huge misdirection over what will bring you happiness that's being drilled in our heads. And, yes. you know, not, not to sound like.
2: Yes, consumerism. Yeah, not
1: capitalism, man. You know, if I'm going to sound like mm. I'm a freshman in college, right. it's the capitalism, man. It's bad for your brain. But. No, but it's true. Yeah, yeah in many ways. But, I mean, just the idea that having stuff uh, will make you uh, happier is. Uh, not having anything will make you very unhappy. But, you know. So I mean give everybody the answer here. Tell me. So everybody listening yeah, whose please. material needs are met, who is not completely satisfied with their life, gratitude, appreciating the fact that your material needs are met and and paying attention to what you have not what you lack because like what you lack, Allison. Mm. There's like an infinite amount of things you lack, right? Cuz you can't you yeah. can't have everything, right? You have you mm. have like that sucks. Maybe a hundred things, but there's an infinite amount of things. Or as the Taoist would say, there's ten thousand things. But yeah, yeah, you have an infinite. There's an infinite amount of things you don't have. So if you wake up every morning mm-hmm. going, "What don't I have?" Then you're gonna you're gonna have no contentment, no fulfillment. But if you spend the right. same amount of time going, "Oh wow, look what I do have! I do have this Danville or Dan, uh, Daniel, uh-huh. uh, for the time he's here before tragedy right. strikes."
2: The anvil crushes him. Yeah, yeah. so I have a mos- I have a mosquito. Yeah. Some people don't get to have that.
1: No, some people have far too many.
2: You're right. It could be worse. I could have two mosquitoes. Sorry, go ahead. You're saying yeah. something profound. Yeah. So
1: as Dr. Carl Totten would always to. tell me. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm, I'm working towards it. Uh, would say having an, yeah. <laughs> have an adi- have an attitude of gratitude. And that will take you further. There's one last thing that um, somebody mentioned in this, which I I often think about. And the person tweeted that how humans are, we think we'll be happy when when we get that home, when we get that yes. car, when we get that relationship, yes. and every the 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 great reward is right around the corner, and it starts early. He like, say, uh, once I get out of kindergarten, then. You know, once I get out of school and I have my own life and I have a car and then I Mm -hmm. have this amazing boyfriend or when I get that job or when I get that raise or when I retire. And then people retire and then they get weird diseases and then they're miserable anyway. So they left their whole lives thinking that happiness was right around the corner when happiness only exists in the moment is the only time. So the key Mm -hmm. is finding it in the moment. Right. And, um, Yeah. So it's always, and there's a book called The Tao of Pooh, and there's this great thing where Benjamin Hoff in the book talks about the, quote, great reward. And we're all set up to try to find this great reward, and it's right around the corner. And the joke of life is, it's not. And it's right here, and it's right now. And what are the steps you can take to be in the moment, be in the now, right now, and have gratitude, and appreciate the moment? And so that's wait uh.
2: sometimes I do feel this dread of like these the days are just passing by Mm. even if I have like a collection of like of pretty good happy days but I'm just like not doing a lot with them like the days are just kind of they're kind of all kind of samey and they're just passing by and it's like should I be trying I don't know what I should be doing with each day but I feel like I should be doing something more because I'm never getting this day back and mostly all I did was like just you know, got my kids ready for school, and then like messed around, recorded a couple podcasts, and then made dinner and watched TV, and then well, I put my kids to bed first, and then did the you know did like they're just going by very fast, and then I think meh whatever, you know me I'm a deep thinker Todd
1: maybe your whole life
2: isn't for you <laughs> Allison
1: think about this maybe you think about it this way what. Yeah, maybe you're like, yeah, I'm going to do this thing, or this is, yeah. I'm a media personality and a mom, and maybe you're just made to be like a fisherwoman. You know, like you got a boat out in Pedro, and you're bringing in a mackerel, and that's satisfying to you, and screw the family. That's what you're going to do. Or maybe you're going to go lobster fishing, and maybe that's your thing, not how people people sold you on this whole media and career and family.
2: But I'm not even fisherwomaning at all.
0: Upworthy Weekly. At Upworthy,
1: we love highlighting people and businesses that are tackling climate change. So I have a guest here whose company has done an incredible job at taking responsibility for its impact and has a new innovation that's going to take that even further. So uh, with me today is uh, Carmen Solman, the Vice President of Apparel Innovation Design, that's going to explain how Nike is taking that even further. Uh, So Carmen, welcome to Upworthy Weekly.
0: Thank you, Todd. It's great to be here.
1: Thank you so much. So, uh, I, I've been learning that Nike is on a, a journey to create a zero waste, zero carbon future. Uh, can you share how Nike's getting there?
0: As you know, for 50 years, Nike has been solving problems for athletes, and climate change has now become a problem for our athletes and a barrier to their sport. So Nike has, as a, a leader in the industry, and in order to serve our athletes, we know that it is important that we are on this mission to make a difference, to inspire the world and athletes to make a difference, and to to be the change ourselves. So it's, it's a huge initiative. We've been on it for a while, and this innovation that we're talking about today, Nike Forward, is just one of the ways we're doing that. We know that specifically in our products, like apparel, the material is our largest footprint that we need to solve for and solve for first. Make sure we use the best materials we can. Make sure we use just the right amount of materials and not create any extra waste. And then also have plans for how we can keep using those materials over and over again to not create more waste on the planet.
1: Can you speak to how climate change is specifically affecting athletes? Like, what are you hearing over at Nike that that athletes are saying?
0: It's really been an interesting journey of, you know, I, I mentioned the 50 years that Nike's been solving problems for athletes. And a lot of that history has been in about making athletes faster, helping athletes run longer, play sport longer, look cool while they do it, stay thermoregulated, you know, manage their sweat, all of those things. And it's it's really been a, a rapid increase in athletes telling us that they can't access sport, not because of those other things, not because of their physical ability or because of the um, clothing and shoes that they have access to, but that the environment is impacting it actual things like marathons having to be canceled or delayed or shifted to the middle of the night to avoid the heat, Um, Mm. football fields getting flooded, trainings getting canceled due to excessive heat or pollution. Um, And these are real problems that now are are on an equal playing field for our athletes in, in terms of the other problems that we've been solving for in the past that have to be addressed to continue our mission of believing that um, everyone should have access to sport, and that sport can change the world.
1: So let's let's talk about the new innovation you've made with Forward. I was reading that it came that this massive innovation came from a very small kind of change in the way you guys the, the needles uh, in the punching machines that produce your garments.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, you know this this innovation launch Nike Forward actually started over five years ago. And what's incredibly exciting to me in in signifying this impactful change that Nike wants to keep doing better and better is that we started from scratch with this specific innovation. Um, We weren't trying to retrofit other things to make them more sustainable that already existed. We started with nothing and said, how do we build something, brand new apparel, out-of-the-box thinking? and make sure that we do not compromise anything from sustainability to performance to style. And we came across some industrial manufacturing methods in um, highly industrial zones like automotive or medical, and were really inspired by a simple manufacturing method, needle punching in this case, that was very, very fast and highly efficient and a fairly simple process, and at the, the very basic level, it's, it's raw fibers in and a material out. So, for example, typical knits and wovens, you have to start with a raw material in a fiber form. You have to spin it into a yarn. You have to knit it and weave it. You have to dye it and finish it. And then you have a piece of fabric that then you can cut and make into apparel. And all of those steps are really carbon-intensive, and so with this needle-punching method that we've hacked from other industries where we're able to go basically from fiber to material, we can drastically reduce that carbon footprint.
1: So you're, you're basically eliminating a whole bunch of steps. Exactly. What's the overall impact, say, like if you're, I don't know, you're making a, a fleece hoodie the new way uh, with the, the new forward innovation versus the previous ways you made one?
0: Compared to a traditional knit that would be used in a fleece hoodie, in this case of our first launch, we are a 75 percent carbon reduction. So a really, really wow. meaningful change, especially at the scale of what a company like Nike can deliver to our athletes. And that, that's that carbon footprint is, is really from several notions. So you brought up that it's a simplified manufacturing process. So yes, that's one. That's one of our big abilities to reduce that carbon footprint. Another is that we're using over 70% recycled fibers by weight, so we're using better inputs into the start of the process. And then another unlock is that because this isn't a traditional knit or woven, we're using those raw fibers and that and not doing any dyeing or finishing. So there's zero water usage in this process for the Nike Forward launch, which is absolutely game-changing for, for Nike Sport Apparel.
1: Does that limit the amount of colors that the products can come out in?
0: In the future, no. At, at this first launch, we are launching in the classic gray hoodie, Heather. And that's really because we want to honor and recognize this classic staple in the everyday athlete's closet. You know, the traditional gray Heather hoodie that you work out in, that you mm-hmm. wear to and from, that's your casual style item. And completely recontextualize it and modernize it in an uncompromised, sustainable and performance way so that Heather Gray is intentional for now. We will have colors in our pipeline coming down the road as we know we need to continue to serve athletes in ways that create dimension for their style and sport.
1: It's interesting because it's manufactured differently And there's a little bit of an ask, I think in a positive way, for the people who, you know, for the athletes, the everyday athletes that wear this apparel, is that the hoodie only needs to be washed, like, after five wears, whereas most people would wash it after one. How do you keep it from getting funky, you know?
0: (laughs) Great question. Yes, we're recommending based on our wear testing and research and trials, that you don't really need to wash this hoodie every time. And in fact, to care for the long life cycle of a product, which one is, is one of the best things a consumer can do to you know take care of their garments, is to not wash it as frequently. And when they do wash it, to wash it on cold, so they're also using less energy heating at home and to lay flat dry, again, reducing that carbon energy so that we can take into consideration not only all the work that we've done up front in the Nike creation, but then continue that partnership with the athlete to also reduce their footprint on the life cycle part of them owning the garment.
1: Uh, I read that you can recycle the hoodie after. How, does, how do you recycle a hoodie? Because I'm, you know, I'm not used to recycling my clothing How do you actually just recycle one? Do you throw it in the recycle bin or how does that happen?
0: We've done testing and trials where we will take the garments back, we can shred them up, and because of the simplified manufacturing, we can put those fibers back into the system. So the manufacturing method we talked about at the beginning is not only simplified for the carbon reduction in the moment, but because it is simple, we can also input a wider variety of recycled inputs. So those can be from Mm -hmm. athlete consumer garments that have reached their end of life. It could be from industrial waste textile scrap that is also unusable. All of those wide variety of inputs can be put back into the system much more easily than they could in a traditional knitting or weaving process.
1: So it's getting to be hoodie season. Uh, You know, we're in mid-September. People across the country are going to start bundling up a little bit and wearing jackets and things like that where and when can people get this new hoodie uh, and it's it's called the forward gray hoodie right
0: yes nike forward and it's it's in our thermofit ADV fleece hoodie I'm actually wearing it today. I, you know, I've mentioned we've been working on this for 5 years. So, my team and myself were so excited. We're all we all have our hoodies on. Um September 22 in North America, the Nike Forward hoodies will be available on nike.com and in select retailers. Cool.
1: Cool. So, people will be able to get them really soon and, you know, Carmen, um I don't have a hoodie right now. I've had to, you know, get rid of my hoodies, so I could really use a uh, Nike forward hoodie.
0: <laughs> we we definitely need to get you a hoodie, yes.
1: Well, thank you so much. And, uh, and to everybody listening, that's on uh, September 22nd at Nike.com. You can get the forward hoodie and be one of the first people to rock it while working out, you know, running down the block. <laughs> so thank you very much, Carmen.
2: Thank you, Todd. Upworthy, Upworthy. Weekly. You guys, the wisdom is just beginning. So adults share things teens aren't ready to hear, and it's some solid advice for all ages. So this came from a Reddit thread. What are some things that teens just aren't ready to hear? Uh, And here are some great ones. Everything you do as a teenager will be cringe to your children, if I may. Mm. I find the use of cringe to be a little cringe. And my husband, whom I love, Sometimes we'll say cringe, and I always want to point it out to him, but I don't because I'm nice, and instead I'm sharing it on a podcast with thousands and thousands of listeners. So if you guys hear this, don't tell him. I don't think he listens. How do you feel about cringe?
1: I mean, I like it because I think
2: that's cringe.
1: Yeah, I I like but the cringy. It's cringy. I like cringy better. I like, I like saying cringy because I think it really gets it gets to the point, and I think we didn't really have this term or it wasn't really in the. Uh, zeitgeist until a couple years ago so i I, it's not bothering me yet but it it can be overdone give it time yeah Yeah. but i do look back but here i I will fight back on that point real quick that not everything someone does as a teenager is cringe because sometimes every 20 years things cycle back right so it's like in 1991, mm-hmm. when I was in high school, wearing bottom bell bottoms and everything, Brady's style was like hip again, right? So, yeah, what everybody's moms was doing or whatever, wasn't that cringe, right? Uh, right. I mean, but it's that brief window of the comeback. And besides that, it's cringe on all sides. So, okay, fine, I'll, I'll give them that.
2: Yeah. You won't. Here's a here's one that is uh, very uh, very apt. You won't feel different when you're older or have kids. You'll just be you. It's weird. Yeah, I feel like that's totally true. Well, actually, a little bit because I, for years and years and years, I always wondered when am I going to feel like an adult. In fact, I even um, in my book I have an essay about uh, like putting on zit cream and also noticing a couple gray hairs and being like, "What am I? What, you know, uh- I, my body needs to choose." Um, but then. At a certain point after having children, I think one day I was like, oh, I actually do feel like it. it's finally happened. I finally do feel like an adult. It was a very slow metamorphosis. But for the most part, no, you don't. When you're a child, I think you think that one day it's going to be like you're really going to feel feeling like an adult is a very different feeling. And it's really not. The, the, the innate you does not go away.
1: I, I agree, and then would
2: you agree? T- to add
1: to that, I would say that also there's Please. the thing where you realize that uh, other adults don't really act or think like adults, Mm-mm. and when you know, it's one of those things when you're a kid, you look up to adults, and then when you become an adult, you're like, most of you are like children, me included.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know? we all are. I had, um, I had bigger okay. expectations for Go.
1: adults when I was a kid.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Hey, adults, step it up. Uh, today's eyebrows are yesterday's clown makeup. Okay. Something is happening in the world of eyebrows, Todd. I don't know how closely you're following eyebrows. Mm. How closely are you following eyebrows? What? On a scale of one to ten, one, rate your eyebrows. One being you don't know anything about eyebrows and ten being you know everything about it. You could open up a eyebrow grooming studio. How would you rate eyebrows, your knowledge of eyebrow trends? I
1: see them, and I don't know what they mean.
2: Okay, so you're like a one.
1: Well, no, yeah, I see them, and I'm like, wow, this chick looks like Groucho Marx with the grease paint on, right? Or insane insane clown posse, right? So I don't know whether they think it's attractive or it's some kind of rebellion thing, because I don't find it attractive, you know?
2: So I'm going to give you a three. I'm going to rate your brow now. I'm going to give you a three, actually, because you are noticing some trends. So what you have noticed is that of late, very thick eyebrows, very thick eyebrows have been uh, trendy and people will go and they'll get their eyebrows, what's called microbladed, which is it's very fine hairs Mm. are tattooed onto the brows uh, to make them look thick. Well, now all of a sudden, and it's a pendulum swinging thing, all of a sudden Bleach people are bleaching their eyebrows and k- there's a picture of Kim Kardashian on the cover of interview magazine I don't know if you've seen it it's very jarring it's a very jarring look because it looks like the person has no eyebrows and then I saw something a, a picture today where it was like our no is is the no eyebrow look the new or no eyebrows the new brows mm. and I was thinking all these people who got their eyebrows microbladed that What are they going to do? Because now the trend is toward no eyebrows. What is happening? It feels like really people are being punked. Okay. Uh, Nobody else. Here's another one. Nobody else wants to hear whatever TikTok you're watching. Buy some headphones.
1: Yes, I'm with that. And and this could be advice
2: for my wife. (laughs) Oh, does she listen out loud? Yes, she does like.
1: Y'all be laying in bed asleep next to her, and she'll just be, her phone will just be like blaring as she's scrolling through mm. something, and it's like,
2: bro, bro, yeah, <laughs> bro. <laughs> it's like,
1: dude. So, yeah. So, what uh, is there any other stuff that teens aren't ready to hear?
2: Well, being controversial isn't the same as being interesting. Snap. Ooh. These are so snappy. Yeah. Uh, and then here's a. Uh, I'm going to end on this one. It's, it's a little longer. Getting good at stuff will take time, sometimes lots of time, and sometimes you'll spend lots of time on something and you still won't get good at it. That's the human experience. Some things you struggle with will come very easily to others, but some things they struggle with will come very easily to you. Don't be mad that someone possesses skills you don't, and don't be a jerk for possessing skills that many other people don't. I like it. Smart advice. That's that's the stay in your lane thing.
1: It's that, and it's also... Not to sound like somebody that used to do a show with, but it's all about getting raps, you know. <laughs>
2: yeah. Doing things over and over again. Is that Carl Totten? Yeah, yeah.
1: Grit, but <laughs> I I do think that anything I've gotten somewhat good at in life. Look, I, people can like me on this podcast or not, but uh, <laughs> that but like it took many like years of. Working mm-hmm. on podcasts Same. and stuff before, you know, someone would probably even consider letting me do it for their brand, right? Um, and there was the mm-hmm. early ones were very bad. If you think this is terrible, you should hear the early low budget stuff.
2: <laughs> oh, it could, it, could, it could be worse, you guys. You don't even know. Oh, yeah. Totally. Right. Uh, Yeah, I see that. I see that in my children. Like I like Elliot, um, both Elliot and Owen do soccer now, which is amazing, because I can't stand soccer. Um, But they love it. Uh, And it's really not about me. But anyway, um, Elliot was discouraged because he was not immediately great at it. And it's like, you know, that's something I think that has to be taught that these things don't come to us immediately. It does, you know, it takes practice. And that's okay. And that's good.
1: Yeah, it's, it's like there's this thing that, when, that I bought into when I was younger. And that's when somebody's really good at something, they're like a genius. Like if you had friends who were in mm-hmm. art school, it's like so-and-so's a genius. So-and-so, and it was this type of thing that they were like born great. And it's like now everybody I know who's really good at something, it's because they were dedicated and they spent a lot of time at it. The guys I know who are really good at playing guitar, or singing or anything. It's people who practice, practice, practice and do it all the time. My friends who are great artists, right. it's because they sat and did it all. It wasn't because they were geniuses. But I, I don't know. I was raised with this idea of like people, if you're someone, someone was good at it, they were born with it. They were born with that talent. But we're, really it's just doing things over and over again so that you get good at it. Um,
2: I think the born with it theory appeals to us because it's a shortcut. It's mm-hmm. easier. Then working at something, which is hard and takes uh, it's a little bit it's a little bit bruising to your ego to be like, I got to battle this thing and I might not be good and I'm going to I'm definitely not going to be good for a while. You know, it's easier to just be a, a, amazing instantly. Well, and I think
1: it also leads to the mythology behind people who are like great artists or great politicians or, you know, he was born a man of the people or, you know. She, she came out of the womb singing and, you know, the people were imbued with this like kind of holy thing, almost like a people of the royal family, right? They're, they're like royal blood. And we would look at talent that right. way versus these people just stayed up at night playing guitar, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So I think, I think it's a bit of that too. Like n- no one wants to think that like Kurt Cobain sucked at a certain point, but he did right he was sitting around writing trash songs that nobody's heard and people are like "Uh, that guy sucks and his whole outfit with the cardigan and stuff yeesh but (laughs) later it was it was a thing so yes that's what i wish someone had really pressed upon me but you know it's like the beatles they just came out and they were great it's like no they were playing in hamburg for eight hours a day on pep pills for seven years before that happened, you know?
2: It's time to rate your week.
0: Have something great happen this week that you just have to share with the world? Tell us about it by emailing us at upworthyweekly at upworthy.com.
1: Allison, on a scale of one to five, one being absolutely awful, five being Darn near perfect. Write your week.
2: Um, I'm going to give this week a three point five. Um I enjoyed the shows that I did this week, so I personally had like a f- okay week. However, both of my kids have hand foot and mouth disease. Oh. Are you familiar with this disease? Yeah. Uh kid it, it is something that yeah. Owen got it first and then I communicated with his preschool and they said, "Yes, it is going around." So then I'm like, "Okay, it's definitely hand foot and mouth." We have been just basically just been like washing our hands 8,000 times a day trying to make sure that the, none of no one else gets it. He's on the mend. But then yesterday, Elliot had 103.6 fever, uh. which is so high. Oh, and then also he was, he was throwing up and like very particular. It was the most Elliot thing ever. Honey, are you going to throw up? Uh-huh. Do you want something to throw up, up into? Yeah. And then we handed him a receptacle and he went, no. <laughs> this one is, it's, it wasn't to his pleasing. I can't puke into uh, this. So we had to find a different. Yeah, he. We had to find a different thing, but then thankfully the second, you know, bowl worked for him. But so that's going on. So anyway, that's my week. Are you a better person? And I don't think I'm a. But yeah. I don't think so. I'm trying to think. Has anything happened where I could go? Yeah. I mean, I've been like doing a little more journaling, which doesn't make me a worse person, but. I have continued to exercise. I exercise first thing in the morning. Seems like a pretty great thing to do. Proud of myself for that. But no, I feel like I'm pretty much the same flawed person I was last week. Mm. So I feel like I'm like pretty neutral on that.
1: Okay. Sounds like you're a little better. Marginally better. Barely better.
2: Like, Like if you squint, maybe a tiny bit. But I don't know. It's... I don't know. What about you, Todd? On a scale of one being just god-awful and five being amazing, how was your week? I'm going to give it a two. That sounds pretty bad.
1: Yeah. Well, as I showed you photos of, I had a leak yeah. in my air conditioner a while back in the house. And it slowly leaked into the flooring of my house. And so half the flooring had to get ripped out. And it was like <laughs> wood, wood. Uh, it had this like glue, like the stinkiest glue ever, and it was moldy. So it was moldy oh. industrial glue throughout like half my place. So our insurance company was like, "Okay, you guys have to go to an Airbnb so you don't die of like black mold." So, jeez, we've been at a Airbnb in a kind of sketchy neighborhood. It's kind of fun in-, in Long Beach, and um, so. It's been just stressful trying to work, trying to take my kid to school, and then running back to the Airbnb and, you know, the whole bit. I mean, obviously, we have a place to stay. could be a lot worse. But it is stressful mm. when you're dealing with, you know, these home repairs which are going to go on for probably another couple of weeks. I'm going to be kind of out, you know. So that's yeah. that's been stressful and difficult. But the positive thing was... Last night, and this this brought me great joy. No, two days ago, we're sitting at the Airbnb, and it's a small place, so all the family is together. Even my wife and I were watching TV together at night because we only have one TV. And you
2: guys typically, yeah, you typically watch separately in in the evening. Yeah,
1: we don't really know how to negotiate it either. We're like, you, you. Obviously, we're not going to like the same thing. So you, you know. Mm. But so last night, my me and the kid are sitting around, and I go. I put on Pee-Wee's Big Adventure. hmm And my kid loved it. And I loved that movie. I, I grew up watching Pee-Wee Herman. Like I watch I, I think I watched Pee-Wee's Playhouse like well past the age, which I should have been watching like that age kind of group kind of show. But I just love Pee-Wee Herman and love love Pee-Wee's Big Adventure. I've seen it a million times, and so my kid absolutely loved it. And so I've been trying to do the Pee-wee voice, like her like <laughs> <laughs> That kept the week from being bottom basement. Oh, one thing. So, as we're leaving the Airbnb in the morning, me and my kid and my two dogs and have my new Labrador puppy, Archie. What happened was Archie had eaten my my shoes. So, I, so instead of wearing shoes, I was wearing water socks. You know. Like if you're gonna go walk up a, a river or something.
2: Yes, I know what those are. So
1: that's all I had. So I was living in water socks for a couple of days because just me. Oh boy! I didn't, I didn't really go buy shoes, you know. So yes. I, I get I get everybody in the car in the morning to take the kid to school and then to take the dogs back to the old house where I can work and so <laughs> I. As, as I'm getting ready to pull the car out, I notice that there's a trash can behind the driveway because the trash truck came. So I thought to myself, I could shut the door on the car, or I could just hmm. run out there and move the trash can. And I ran out there and moved the trash oh. can. And I, see, oh,
2: no. oh, I no. see the
1: dog poke his head out. And we're on a busy street. Oh, we're on 10th Street in Long Beach. And the dog just books it. At, oh geez.
2: this is Archie. Yeah,
1: Archie books it, and so then I start chasing the Labrador in the water socks, in your water shoes, and yeah. there's teenagers walking to Wilson High School, just like, like laughing at me as I'm screaming Archie! Why aren't they helping? Because they're teens, and there's like, I know, oh, you know. And mm. so eventually, the dog is running down the street, like in the oh street. God. I'm like having a heart attack. I can't catch him. Finally, I yeah. Not in these shoes. Not no. I corner him in a driveway, and I'm like, okay, so he's got to walk. He's got to come past me if he's going to keep keep this game going. Mm. So I'm like, I'm game. So I get like a linebacker, like ready to like put a hit on somebody, Mm. and he charges at me, and he gets his arms going like the green goblin dogs and Ghostbusters. You know, they run like that. You know, Mm, and he he runs right at me. So I throw myself (sighs) at the dog. Oh my god! And I miss. Oh, my God. Where did you end up? I landed on my knees and I scraped both my knees because I was wearing shorts. And then I was just like so sad in my water short, my water shoes (laughs) with scraped knees. They were teens just walking by. And where's your dog at this point? He starts running. Did you even make contact with him? So then he runs and guess where he runs?
2: Right into the car and the driveway. Back into the car. Back in the car. Oh my god! Oh my god! It just sits there and looks at me like. Oh my god! Were you crying? Were you angry? What were you at this point?
1: I was bloody. I was. I was in pain because my knees. I was like, I haven't scraped my knee in thirty years, and now I have two scrapes. I can't. I can't live through
2: this. So then I. No, it's so painful. It it really is, and it doesn't heal. No, no,
1: it's. uh, So I sit down in the car, and I'm just like. I take a deep breath and I turn to the dog and I say, Archie, I'm going to kill you.
2: <laughs> ah! and then, Archie, I don't mean to be melodramatic, but.
1: he just looks at me like. Ah, 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 and then, because he's tired, because he's running, you know. And then my son's in the back seat and goes.
2: Oh no, he had seen the whole thing.
1: Dad, are you going to kill mm. Archie? <laughs>
2: I mean, good thing he returned, though. Yeah. I didn't kill him.
1: I love him. I'd like to thank Allison Rosen, and I'd like to thank our friends over at Nike for telling us about the latest innovation that they have, and that's going to be available on September 22nd at Nike.com. Get yourself that hoodie.
0: Upworthy Weekly was produced by Todd Perry. Follow Upworthy on all socials at Upworthy. Allison is on Twitter at Allison Rosen. And Todd at Todd A. Perry. That's Todd with one D. Questions, comments, or to tell us about your amazing week, email us at upworthyweekly at upworthy.com. I'm Marley Balin. Have a great week.